Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I am joined by Jules Murray. Jules started her career in sales and business development before moving into training and consultancy. In 2006, Jules founded Spider on the Wall Limited, which offers managerial training, soft skills, and mystery shopping services. A regular on the Club Management Association of Europe's Management Development Programme as a presenter, Jules is well known and liked within the club community and brings a contagious energy to all of her sessions. Her passion lies in designing and delivering fun, interactive and experiential training courses, which having had the good fortune in being in some of these sessions, she definitely delivers this in spades. I'm excited to welcome Jules to the podcast as we discuss unconscious bias, diversity and misogyny in clubs. Jules, welcome and how are you today? Oh, hi Ed, yeah, I'm feeling really good, thank you. Excited to be here. Excellent. Before we dive into the topic, can you give us bit more background maybe on your career and you know the pivot from being in sales and business development into training Mm, absolutely I've always had a fascination with people Um, I truly believe that our purpose in life you know we are born here to connect Um, and it's through those connections through those relationships with other people that we achieve you know practically everything in life Um, And so I study people. Um, So I'm qualified in neuro-linguistic programming and I'm also a personality profiling practitioner. So I get a really good insight into um, people's behaviour, their character and indeed the way they like to receive and process information. Um, And it just seemed a a very natural um, transition into sort of helping organisations to develop their people and, and make changes, embed changes and new habits in them you know, to perform better. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I must say I work across across the globe in, in all sorts of different sectors. Um, and yeah, thoroughly enjoying working with the CMAE. Well, nice. You must then see, although there's similarities between how people interact, there's also cultural nuances, uh, which obviously I'm, I'm sure makes it very interesting. And with then cruise and airlines, you have the whole melting pot of multiple cultural nuances working together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I was fortunate enough to to live in the UAE for for three years. And, uh, well, you know, we have hundreds of nationalities <laughs> in the UAE. Um, so it's, you know, it's absolutely fascinating, yeah, from a cultural point of view as well. How was that? Because you were working with, within, was it admissions in one of the schools? And um, I was director of development for an organisation... Yeah, called um, an organisation called Talim, which is an Arabic word which translates into education. Um, so yeah, I'm helping schools, um, international schools, recruit um, their pupils. Yeah, mm, that must be very interesting and quite different to 
kind of the hospitality world in a way but also some similarities i'm sure mm. in terms of it's i know having lived also in the ue before that there's a big competition for private schools to a for want of a better term recruit the best talent to come to their schools yeah very much so and uh, if you think what you're dealing with the customer service level there is so it has to be the absolute best we're talking about somebody's child not their car not their stereo you know this is the biggest love of their life mm. and uh, <laughs> you've, you know you've got to create the best customer service and the best journey for them so yeah something very very emotive um so yes it, it's a uh, it's pretty tough um but you know thoroughly rewarding mm. And what have you taken from that experience that you've pulled into, say, like the club world more in terms of hospitality? As you say, it's a, it's a whole other level when it's someone's child and the, and the customer journey mm-hmm. and experience with that. What have you learned from there that maybe you weren't expecting to find out? Um, the power of diversity, I think, um, and that's what I'm going to um, touch on today. Um, it's the more diverse um, team you have, the better. A diverse team will always, always outperform a homogeneous one. And um, it's trying to encourage you know, um, industries to see the benefit of, you know, it gives you such a, um, a richer understanding, more worldviews, different frames of reference, different perspectives. Um, it makes problem solving and joining the dots so much more simpler, you know, when you've got a diverse uh, workforce. Mm. Must maybe a good place to dive in then and to carry on a bit looking at yeah. diversity. And one of the other podcasts I recorded is with a hotel manager and he talked about the guest experience and how, in his view, the guest is almost always right just because they have their different viewpoint and each guest's journey is different, whether they're a young couple with young kids or a tired couple on themselves. Each guest's journey is so different. And you need to have a team of diverse people who can bring their own unique experiences to see all these different angles and avenues. And that's certainly the same, I think, culturally, having worked in multicultural teams, that's definitely something I found that their viewpoints are are so varied and they definitely bring things in that you'd miss. Yeah, absolutely, you can. And um, you can't, um, you know, you can only even um, build a, a culture of diversity once you um, once you finally grasp, you know, or fully grasp, indeed, you know, the, the concept of diversity and indeed the benefits it brings. And how this all sort of started for me was um, I was asked to speak at the CMMAA, the American version, mm-hmm. BMI conference um, in Edinburgh to speak on misogyny. And um I never really saw myself as a feminist and I just felt very uncomfortable with the concept of it. I hadn't ever spoken about it before and initially I turned it down and uh, they approached me again and then they said, you know, would you you know, please consider? And I just thought, well, you know what? I know so much about unconscious bias and diversity that I'm sure that I could indeed, you know, pull those elements in and I would find it hard to talk about misogyny without even you know mentioning diversity and inclusion and unconscious bias so they had it all <laughs> so it worked really well um, so you know we started with um when I started the speech I was I had everybody to visualize things and I was asking them you know just sit with your eyes closed for a while and bearing in room this was a room of um 50 American club golf managers 
And um, I said, you know, think of a professor on a computer programming course. Um, think of a building site manager. Think of a NASA astronaut. Um, you know, think of a CEO of an IT startup company. And when I'd finished the visualization, I asked them, you know, how many of them had visualized those people as being female? And of course, there's sort of a little a snigger through the room. And of course, nobody does. You know, they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not roles that people see you know, women, you know, being in. Um, it's almost like an uncomfort with it. And it's so unusual that um, and then people become a little bit embarrassed that they haven't. Um, but it's it's all about your subconscious. And indeed, you know, it's about stereotyping. Um and I do it. I mean, I train this stuff for a living, but I even fall on my own sword. My mum has recently had an operation um, on her hip and uh, I called her at the weekend and I said, you know, how are you doing, mum? So she said, oh, great. She said, the surgeon called me today. So I said, oh, did he? What did he say? And I was like, um, or she, what did she <laughs> say? And so I went there and I think you know, some of these things are so deeply ingrained in us um, that, you know, it's very unusual for us to get our head around them. So the idea is, is that we understand that we have an unconscious bias towards these things and then we step in front of him. Um, and, you know, that's the best way to, to approach it. Mm. But um, so, yeah, um, so to go back to this, uh, the misogyny talk, I was I then asked them of all of the inappropriate comments that they hear in the golf club world. Um, now, Ed, I, I didn't ever, you know, have spend any time in and around golf clubs. So I'm sure that you can potentially help <laughs> me with the answer. Yeah. This, but um, the, <laughs> the average age of a member tends to be older and mm-hmm. indeed, you know, they tend to be male. Mm. Um, and some of the comments that they were spoken about, you know, of which they were, you know, admitting to themselves. Um, and it just makes me wonder, you know, why? Why is it allowed to happen? Why are they allowed to sort of, you know, speak to women in, a, in those types of ways? Um, and there was things that they'd heard at um, an interview. One man had said, and a female came for an interview, and he said, um, give us a twirl <laughs> at the interview. Wow. And she did. And you're just thinking, oh my goodness. And um, you know, staring at somebody's name badge, which they wear on on their breast, of course, mm. and then asking, Oh, what's the other one called? <laughs> you know, you've heard this one. Um <laughs> and they said, you know, even today, yeah, even today they can they hear themselves saying things like, um, oh George, you're a girl, you'll know about cushion covers. What do you think about you know, and it's uh, it's just out there, and it's just the sort of conversation that's being allowed, being allowed, I guess, or it's not being addressed. But the world is a very, very different place these days, and we have to learn to think and act differently. Um, and you know, I've got some low hanging fruit which I can share with you at the end, some nice little win wins that we can um, start implementing. But yes, talk to me about golf club members. <laughs> yeah, it is a common one. I remember when I used to work in the UK, I used to. I have a student she was like a plus five handicap but only 15 or so and then we're playing a game of golf with her at the, at the club and we're on the first tee at the very back <clears throat> and i'd teed off and i'd gone back to my bag and i could hear these old boys behind me going you know what on earth is she doing playing off the white tees she's a girl she should be off the red tees another 50 yards forwards this is shocking and I was, I was so happy because I knew she was about to smash it 250 yards down the middle. And as soon as she did, they shut <laughs> up. But then, but that's such a typical thing. And, you know, you, if if it's maybe a younger junior and they overhear those things, they, they do feel maybe they're not welcome. 
it is you know, a lot of clubs. They are many clubs are getting better, but as you said earlier, it's that older male people who tend to be on the committees and and running these, and even often how golf courses are designed. I've just had another conversation coming out soon with a lady who specialises in course design as a golf architect and looks at it very much from the perspective of being a female golfer where you've got Mm -hmm. bunkers, you've got penalty areas at places that even from the forward tees, maybe a lot of female golfers can't clear them. So it doesn't feel like an enjoyable, welcoming golf course. And the fact we even still have ladies tees, I think is ridiculous. Um, The club I'm moving Mm -hmm. to, I'm really proud that they've got five sets of tees. None, none of them are men, male tees, none of them are female tees. There's just five sets of tees. Because mm. to say that, oh, that one really far forwards, that's where all the girls should play from. Well, no. <laughs> it should just be, why, mm. firstly, why can't an 80-year-old guy who hits the ball 100 yards, why can't he play from them? But if they're labelled as, you know, they're often on a different line in the scorecard, separated from the other ones. So everything's kind of, yeah, separated and made to feel different. And I read a really interesting article recently about um, hidden inequality in women's golf, which I kind of knew about. But when I read it, it really hit home, this specific one, competitions. This lady was a low handicap and she worked out she would have to take 22 days of annual leave to play all the club and county competitions she would want to in the year. And she then looked at the men's fixtures and worked out she'd have to take three annual leave days to play the same level of competitions and this again it's such an outdated notion that women stay at home do the cooking men work hard and they need the weekends to play golf but so many clubs still do operate like that and county organizations they have the women's county champs are often weekday events so i think that's where golf certainly needs to be a lot more modernized in that way of thinking and, and operating and there's no reason that stuff cannot be changed immediately. Mm. No, indeed. Um, sadly, you know, we seem to be um, making advances one funeral at a time at the moment, which is a terribly <laughs> cool thing to say, but it's, it is. But, um, but I think golf clubs were built by men for men. And, you know, maybe mm. because they have an older um, sort of demographic there, older men didn't ever see women in leadership positions and therefore they don't naturally associate them you know with this way today and they're sort of uncomfortable mm. with the idea of women you know working in clubs and being on the boards and the committees and uh, um, uh, and the you know the the golf club managers um because it's just you know, so unusual with them you know for them I guess um you know I know my own dad you know you spoke about you know that concept but you know I grew up in a in a household where my dad worked two jobs um you know my mum stayed at home she raised my sisters and I she cooked the meals she did the cleaning you know she did as she was told she was put in her place and she served um the family needs just as her mother had done before mm. her um but uh, but myself, you know, I had a very, very different way to the world. And as soon as I left school, you know, I went traveling. Um, you know, I was I had bought my first house by the time I was 21. I was um, and I was a single mother of two daughters by the time I was 30. Um, they went off to university and I you know, took a, a three year contract out abroad. 
Um, you know, they graduated with first class honours degrees. You know, we are very strong, independent women. And, you know, we think and act very, very differently. Um, and my, my girls will often tell my dad off for his inappropriate language <laughs> and you know, the things that he can and can't say these days. Um, but uh, but yeah, but if you think about it, you know they they were they were they were raised watching movies like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Right? Mm, yeah, <laughs> if you think yeah. Of, think of those sorts of things. Um, and of yeah, course, you know the woman was think... always. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, that's where I think popular culture has a huge part to play. And you've now got you know, more movies and TV shows that um, do have stronger female roles and, and leads in them. And I, I think they, and they are, I think what I, I like about the younger generations is none of it, you're just a person. Generally, it's not, yes. you know, you're not necessarily yeah. seen as different. You're just, you're just a human being. Uh, I think that's one of the things I do, you know, it should be, and it should be like that. You're just a person and having, I think like you're saying, like your daughter's talking to your dad about what to say. I think it's it's having those conversations and having it, having done, I think intent matters. I think sometimes some of the stuff I read or hear that gets a bit lost. If because especially for older generations, they'll just say stuff which they don't mean it necessarily to be negative or as a book down because it's just what they've grown up hearing. And it's a challenge that yes. in a constructive way to make them understand actually how it makes people feel. I heard um, Richard Osman talk about his height and how everyone always makes jokes about him. He's six foot seven. I said, he hears it every day. And he said, in, in, he said, in a way, it's body shaming for him. And it does get him down a bit when you've heard it every day for 50 years. And it's things like that. I think a lot of people think it's the, when they make a joke or a comment, they, I think they do think they are the yeah. first person to ever say that or make that <laughs> jokey comment. But, and I, think, I guess if you've heard it continually, even if it's a very mm-hmm. low level, it just you know, keeps, it kind of nags at you and I think brings you down and probably lowers maybe your expectations of what's possible. If girls hear all the time what they're not able to do and they don't see any representation of that. Now I've got two sisters and three nieces, so I do see it a lot from their perspective of, of what they hear or have heard and what they get told. And so one of my sisters is yeah. um, in the engineering, so very male-dominated world um yes. similar probably to golf in that sense and it's what what's mm-hmm. your advice i know we maybe touched with doing this on the end but for someone who wants to challenge it or stand up for diverse groups and they hear someone say something let's say it's a group of guys together and one of them makes mm-hmm. a joke or a comment how how is the best way of tackling that to change mindsets it's educating yourself first, isn't it? You just said a group of guys, and unfortunately, we can't say that anymore. <laughs> there no, was eight different gender Well, types. yeah, but let's say. But I mean, I, I just mean specifically, like that that one mm. scenario that you do have. I guess what in old might have been classes locker room banter in the past. Let's say you're in that mm. actual situation. How do? You, what's the best way of speaking up against that when you're in that group? 
where it can be quite hard if maybe you're the mm-hmm. one out of the eight who then says actually you shouldn't make jokes like that mm-hmm. because although there aren't any one here that that is directed against it keeps that narrative and mindset going mm-hmm. um, and th- that's a very good question and i don't honestly know if i can answer it i think you hit the nail on the head when you said intent you know if the mm. intent is you know of one you know of a, of a negative you know damning sort then of course it needs addressing if it is just friendly banter then it's kind of um oh you know that's not acceptable these days you can't say things like that and i think the more people you know pull people up on it um the word will spread but it is incredibly difficult to address and even if the the staff at these clubs are have got good policy and they're leading by good example and never doing it themselves how do they control the members you know when mm. they hear those comments you know that's uh, again you know a very difficult thing but um but this is all sort of unearthing um stereotypes isn't it and how they're so deeply deeply ingrained in us um and, you know, where does the unconscious bias come from? Well, obviously, family is a massive, um, you know, strong influence there and how we were all, you know, raised and our primary carers of where we got our beliefs and values. Um, but the mass media is absolutely huge, culture in general. Um, but, you know, life experiences, those that have either travelled around the world, you know, six times or have never left their hometown, you know, you will all have your own, um, you know, deeply, deeply ingrained, you know, unconscious bias. But these days, it's just accepting that you have it, you know, knowing that you feel that way and almost addressing it. You know, that's the very first step to it. Um, because the more, as I you know, mentioned in the opening, the more diverse we can you know, have in our workplaces, the better the, the better the outcome, the better the creativity and the productivity for the club. You know, it's it's um, you know, it's 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 so, <laughs> you know, there's it's so evidenced. Um, and I was reading a book recently called Rebel Ideas by um, a guy called Matthew Syed. And there's mm. a phenomenal case study in there about the CIA. And they said that um, uh, the CIA, you know, was um, one of the greatest debacles in the history of the CIA was when they didn't stop the, the terrorist attacks of the 9-11. And they actually sort of did this massive case study on it. And they said, well, the reason why is because they always recruit the same type of people. You know, they they recruit intelligent, absolutely exceptionally intelligent people. So for every one, I'm sorry, for every 2,000 applicants, they'll take one. (laughs) You know, one person will be employed out of every 2,000. And um, they do all their background checks and then they sit them through an incredible SAT style test for intelligence and then a psychological profile to assess their sort of mental um, state. And they'll filter out anyone who's not stellar on both, um, both tests, if you like. So what you've got is this, what they call a white as rice culture, which they were all white male Protestants. Um, hmm. And, you know, it's like, like, likes, like, birds of a feather flock together type, you know, it's that sort of affinity bias that they, they had done. And because of that, they were unable to join the dots um, of, on the terrorist attack. Um, and this book sort of provides this incredible insight to say that if they had had a more diverse group, that would have created, you know, far better, richer understanding. And rather than being all middle class with little financial hardship, you know, they'd have had a, you know, a bigger um, frame of reference and different perspectives to sort of think. Um, 
And the CIA was actually taken to court for not, and this was late 70s, early 80s, for not promoting, um, you know, for female operatives. Um, they settled out of court for $400,000 and then they were back in court because they don't um, promote for ethnical you know, minorities. So, you know, <laughs> fortunately, it's a very, very different day to day and they do recruit, you know, diversely. But, um, you know, but what they had, even if you can imagine a box, you know, they've got Peter and Peter's this very, very intelligent in- individual. You know, he knows a lot. He doesn't know everything. But then on top of Peter, they employ David and Brian and Andrew and Ben, and they all think the same way. <laughs> they all think the same way. They all validate each other's worldview and opinion mm. and perspective. Um, they were saying that, you know, it they absolutely could have thwarted it. Apparently they knew about it 29 months in the making. Um, but phenomenal book and, and very well worth reading if you're considering mm. having a diverse workforce. Um but um, and just to add to that, if you are sort of looking to create a, a better, diverse sort of work environment, it's um, it's not about one or two. You know, that's just tokenism. This is about having a third of your workforce, you know, in in place, and uh, you know, and and then you get the benefit of it. Um, sorry, I went off on one. <laughs> yeah, no, perfect. I it was very yeah. interesting. That. Yeah, that is. Sorry. Well, when I was mm. doing research for my master's degree project on club governance. One thing that came out of what I read in governance, it was having three people. So there's most boards average about nine. So again, about a third. That was like the critical number where you had a big enough diversity of thoughts to be able to have actual, as you say, diverse change and and thoughts on that. Because they do, they offer so much. I get frustrated with some of the narrative, maybe in the UK a bit around low skilled workers and, and migrants, as they get termed, having worked in the Middle East, where these so-called low skilled workers speak four languages. I can't help but think that yeah. that just that ability to speak multiple languages gives you so many different viewpoints and ways of seeing things. And as mm-hmm. you mentioned, that cultural diversity of there's so many different ways of doing things, you can't possibly know it all. I think it's a great example with the the CIA. If you just have 10 people with the same background, Mm. they're going to have the same 10 ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we need to get, you know, the the ethnical um, groups in and we need to get the, you know, the women in. You know, women are brilliant. (laughs) They are very Mm. clever people, women. (laughs) And this is, you know, coming into the, uh, the Gulf world. You know they're not um, inferior to you know to men you know in any way, and yet you know despite qualification, despite skill set, you know they still seem to struggle and they're persistently doubted um, in the workplace. Um, so I think women also um, you know can be you know sort of educate themselves a little bit more on this and uh, really sort of push. Um, we tend to be um, you know we don't tend to rate ourselves as highly as men do, um, and. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, in itself sort of uh, presents uh, a, an issue, doesn't it? Because if we're not saying how good we are, then and men don't think we are anyway, <laughs> it doesn't really help. Um, so we really need to be more greedy, more ambitious and, uh, you know, try and figure out what we want and uh, and then go out and get it. 
um, we tend to minimize ourselves. If you watch women, you know, they'll make themselves small when they sit in a seat, you know, they'll cross their legs and make themselves really sweet. And whereas a man will sprawl out with his coat on one chair and his, and his foot on the other. And, uh, and also we minimize the way we speak. Um, you know, we say, oh, I know a little bit about that if you want to, or I might be able to add a tiny contribution to that. Um, so, you know, we do need to be better at negotiating and self-promoting um, and, you know, less hesitant to, to leave jobs for fear of letting people down, you know, and, uh, you know, looking after ourselves, for example. Um, so, yeah, very interesting chat. Mm. What, what, um, what do you think that comes from? Is that, again, something that's maybe just has been in society that cause I, I, one thing I do really feel for for women leaders is that this society generally stereotypes it as they're weak but then as soon as they try and act tough and strong they get the same people saying negative things about how tough and over the top they're being yeah. it seems to be incredibly yeah. hard balance to, to get whereas I do feel men can get away with most behaviors and it's either just oh just high spirits or whatever it might be what's what do what can women do then to make themselves come across more, I guess, strong and knowledgeable while balancing then? I think one of the best traits is that they don't often come across arrogant, but there's a line between obviously that outward confidence and showing that, yes, I am the best person. Mm. That's so true. You know, we're either, they either say, oh, you know, she's, she's very aggressive or, you know, oh, she's not assertive. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's such a fine line. Yeah, <laughs> it needs to be more assertive. Um, so yeah, it is. It's but I think it's changing. The world is changing, and you you touched on the young. Um, and you know, I think they will massively sort it out. They really will. The Gen Z, as we call anyone born after two thousand, you know, they are. You know, they're not accepting. Um, you know, the the less equality. Um, or anything, um, you know, misogynist, and they they're very very feminist, and uh, and they're they're out there fighting for their rights, um, and they're growing up on films like you know, Pocahontas and Mulan, you know, girls that really <laughs> got stuck mm-hmm. in and did it for themselves. Um, so it will change, but I think it's going to take a, a long time. Um, and there's still the gender pay gap, of course, you know, that's out there, and um, you know that's going to take many many years uh, to, to change. You know, it's just, you know, women's traits, you know, their caring nature, you know, the attention to detail, um, they tend to sort of, you know, push them more into those types of jobs, um, which are, you know, paid less because they're not considered as important. Um, so, yeah, a lot of work to be done, but we are we are scratching the surface and uh, indeed getting there. Um, I had a few um, sort of yes. um, low-hanging fruit, as, as I like to call it, um, which I'd like to sort of um, offer um, to your Perfect. listeners, if I may, you know, to, to sort of stand in front of this. Um, for example, with your job adverts, let's um, sort of start with that one. You have to look at the language pattern that you're using um, you know, in the advert itself. There's lots of masculine and feminine words that work on a psychological level. And so you need to de-bias um, your, your job adverts. There's websites called Gender Decoders where you can just cut, cut and paste your um, your job description into it and it will highlight all of the masculine or feminine words that have been used. Um, so that's a really good way to start and then you know that you're attracting, you know, through um, neutral uh, process. 
Um, I would say when you're CV selecting, um, again, you know, just try and avoid looking at the name, the age, the gender, um, because if you can just turn to the qualifications and indeed, you know, the, the skills and talents that they can bring to that job, then you might be very surprised, you know, when you eventually see, you know, the name of the person or indeed, you know, um, their age or indeed, you know, the culture in which they're raised. Um, so we need to stand in front of those biases that we know we've had. Um, another thing is just get yourself into a habit of saying, oh, well, or so what, you know, and if yeah. it's got um, an email address of, you know, crazycatlover at hotmail.com, you know, so what, like, you know, yeah. has she got the skills <laughs> got the, the talent and skills and experience that I need um, uh, another idea is to interview with a colleague who's completely diversely different to you so if you're um, you know um, a 50 year old man you know do the interview with a, um, a a 20 year old girl and indeed you know just see the difference that you get ask the same questions to all the candidates and score them so that you can benchmark them and then you'll see at the end oh you know you've given her a four for that I only gave her a two you know what did you see that I didn't see um, and that will encourage, you know, you to sort of think outside the box and sort of do divergent thinking. Um, mm. Another thing to, to avoid is asking a candidate to dis disclose their previous salary. Um, you know, that can obviously cause, you know, a, a big um, bias in you. You know, if, if they have a very low salary, you know, you're already thinking something. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, performance reviews, um, when you're doing performance reviews, um, a lot of times, um, we do a self-evaluation, which we share with the line manager at, at the at the appraisal or indeed the review. Um, now, what we mentioned previously, with women will always rate themselves lower. They'll underrate themselves and men overrate themselves. It's, you know, it, it's fact. Um, and also, of course, in some cult cultures, it's not acceptable to boast. So that's a really good one, you know, for both gender and cultural um, sort of bias. Mm. Um, because if you give yourself a four and I give you an eight, um, I'm going to naturally lean towards coming down to your figure because that's what you've told me you are. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, that works on a, a very unconscious sort of level. Um, what else can we do? Um, sort of just oh, another great idea for, for um, clubs and for boards is to have a shadow board. I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is a, a board that consists of young people that are mm. able to contribute to key decisions and strategies within the club. Um, and so it lifts the bias attached to age. And uh, and of course, anyone old and uh, like myself, I'm sure we struggle with new technology and social media sometimes. And uh, so we quickly get to understand, you know, how these things work. And then you've got the young people who think so differently about old problems. So, mm. you know, imagine the gross success on the Internet and the digital strategies that you could achieve if you you know, were to create these shadow boards for the young and innovative, you know, to have a say, to have a voice and, you know, to share that knowledge and, uh, and those creative ideas. Um, so that actually, you know, works brilliantly for me as well. But, um, you know, the whole is always, always greater than the sum of the parts. So I think, you know, the more we can, you know, think, what do I need, you know, and I don't want to go down this cloning, you know, I want to have divergent opinions, if you like, um, which will contribute to the to the social dynamic of the club and make it, you know, stand out more. And we're in this, you know, ever fast changing pace world, aren't we? And we need to, you know, to keep up with it, I think is, is the word, um, you know, and, and to get on board and educate ourselves. So I hope a few of those helped, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's just really. a few sort of like, you know, Instagram that, that we can, uh, that we can start doing immediately to, to check that we're not, you know, 
being no, the, um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think one thing you've, probably the biggest thing I'll take away and cause I've, you know, read up a lot and I'm, I do know unconscious bias. And I also know the research says that the more you understand unconscious bias and know about it, you're also more likely to fall into it because you think, oh, I know, I know unconscious bias. It doesn't, it won't affect me is that things like the CV, I'm um, sorry, the um, job advertisements, it's very easy just to write them mm -hmm. as you would and not yeah. think about how you see the language. And that's probably, be, say, for someone like myself, because most job adverts historically have been written by men, I'm naturally going to write one like I've read as well without yeah. necessarily yeah. stopping to yeah. think. Uh, about about it so that's a very good point on there and I think as well with mm. for workplaces it's to get past the idea of just because a woman's got a career break because they've had the audacity to take time off to raise a family that they're no longer a valid mm. um, member of a team um, I, you know, I know people who have struggled with that and it's almost like they've just sat they're treated like they've been sat in a cupboard for a few years rather than raising a child it's like you don't forget how to work just because you've had a bit of time off i know that's what's a one big challenge women do face yeah um which hopefully again that will that will start to change and, and be seen as something which is much more normal because it's happened for tens of thousands of years that kids have been raised so <laughs> hopefully that's something as well which we can get past I do hope so. I think it's going to take a long time yet, but uh, we're definitely moving in the right direction. <laughs> so, uh, I think so, yeah. So, no, I was just going to say, there's millennials and Gen Z and was it Gen Alpha, I think, is the one behind them, um, who already have this stuff much more seen as common. And I think, and also mm. older generations, there's enough people in there to start uh, that change as well and as the world's yeah. say, it's such as it's such a small place in terms of being able to travel and see it but it's such a big place in terms of the diversity of of thinking and experience and what everyone can bring to it it's something something to tap into i think for clubs to to look at what other places are doing not just what are my direct competitors down the street doing what's people around the world doing yeah, very much so. And it, it makes you, you know, if you're more inclusive as a brand, it gives you a better reputation as well. You know, people want to come and work there. So, um, you know, and uh, I know the hospitality industry is struggling with staff in the UK at the moment. And, uh, mm. you know, they could really, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to you know, to develop and grow some uh, some diverse employees. So. Absolutely. They, they bring so much, I think, to businesses uh, and especially hospitality, the, the customer service side of staff, it's having those multiple viewpoints and say having worked overseas with different nationalities you, know, you learn so much from them uh, on on how how to think and how to solve problems because they'll just naturally come up with solutions you'd never thought of because they're upbringing and background so mm -hmm. different to you which hopefully yeah the club industry mm -hmm. um, embraces that and all industry around the world hopefully and so I think there's so many positives from that and I think I see it more and more with younger generations now not accepting. I, I've never, I can't think when I was younger going shopping 
amount of brands that I see promoting the ethical sourcing of clothes, both the materials and where they're and where they're made, it's it's all positive and it's and it's making those changes with the open mind of what's best for everybody. Like it's easy, I think, to say X is done in Y place wrong or badly. Well, let's look at but that's our viewpoint on that. What's their viewpoint yes. on how they'd like it to be changed? Not us come in and say well, if this was a Western company, this is how we'd run it. Well, but it's not a Western country. Let's see it from their viewpoint of how they might want it to be done and work together to to come up with solutions that, because um, talking on that, having been, now I'm moving to the Oceana, I've been reading, there's quite a few really good books written recently, looking at history from the perspective of the East, or the Pacific Islands and their view on on kind of colonial times and the, the age of revolutions in the kind of 1800s. And it's really fascinating reading their view of that period of history, because I think so much over here we get, we read all the history from our own viewpoint. Uh, it's been really interesting reading the diverse views of, of the same era in history. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and and that's exactly what you say. It's just your map of the world. That's all it is. It's like, you know, it's your worldview. It doesn't mean to say it's the only one. And mm. I think the more emotionally intelligent we are, the more we have that ability to, to say, you're not wrong. This is just what my opinion is. So talk to me through yours. You know, let me be curious, you know, rather than judgy and criticizing you for doing it that way. But, you know, talk me through that. Let's learn from each other. Um, and just to sort of, you know, wrap that whole thing up, it's it's not enough just to tick a box and employ, you know, diversity in the workforce. It's about inclusivity then. <laughs> you know, it's one thing, you know, having, you know, 30% of your workforce, you know, of a, of a different culture. But then you've got to be inclusive. You've got to have really, you know, interactive effectiveness, if you like, and empowerment and, uh, you know, and, and just take let them have a voice and hear what their perspective is you know to the problem to the solution um and you know and then it works really really well and it can be really simple things like when i worked in dubai obviously a huge number of nationalities work there and we had a staff canteen and any national day of a country that we had an employee they would serve the national dish in the staff canteen they'd have some flags up and they'd have either someone in there from HR maybe, or they'd have a notice board up with the dish, why this is the national dish, just things like that. Obviously makes those people feel more at home. I think any, even in the UK, any club that has anyone from another nationality, having some, whether it's internal or the whole club celebration of that national day, you learn a bit about their culture, their way of thinking, you make them feel more uh, inclusive as well, I think even little touches like that can go a long way especially if you've got people who have come from overseas to work for you can go a long way to make them feel more valued and welcomed yeah very much so and the world's getting smaller you know we're traveling more so you know the yeah. more exposure we have to more you know, internationals then you know of course you're serving those people so to have them on the workforce is phenomenal so absolutely lovely any final messages you'd like to give to the audience Jules um, 
Affinity bias is the most common bias out there. You know, affinity bias is being instant, instinctively and unconsciously attracted to the same type of person as you, right? We just mm. do it unconsciously without even knowing it. Um, stand in front of it, you know, you're going, you know, it's like, like, likes, isn't it? Birds of a feather flock together. But try and stand in front of that. Appreciate that you do it. And then, you know, just test it. Test something out. And, you know, it's not going to fail. But you're going to learn. And you're going to learn so much. So um, just, you know, test it. That's all I would say. You know, I really strongly encourage you to, you know, create that inclusive and diverse workforce. And, you know, just see the benefits that you get from it. Nice. Okay, perfect. Well, Jules, thank you for joining me on this. And it's a important topic topic. And I hope everyone's taken away something. And I'll put in the show notes some links to the websites and some of the resources that you've mentioned as well. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sueda. Sueda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sueda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com, that's S-U-A-D-A.com, and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.